0: Welcome to another episode of Council for the State. I'm Idaho Attorney General Lawrence Wasden. Council for the State is a podcast produced by my office. Our goal with each episode is to shed a little more light on the office, Idaho law, and other aspects of state government. By doing so, we hope to increase transparency and further your understanding. Thank you for listening, and remember all of our past episodes are available at ag.idaho.gov. Here's Counsel for the State host, Scott Graff. Welcome to Counsel for the State. As the State of Idaho's chief legal resource, the Office of the Attorney General provides counsel to dozens of elected officials, departments, agencies, boards, and other clients. And sometimes this counsel can take on the form of, say, just a simple phone call between a client and a deputy attorney general. Other times, though, a question from a client can result in a formal and often very in-depth legal analysis from our office. These are the analyses that can be made public and sometimes even show up in news coverage from time to time. To discuss the opinion writing process and related matters, we will lean on counsel for the state co-host and Chief Deputy Brian Kane, today. Brian, good to see you again. Thanks, Scott. Always great to be here. So uh, for those who may not fully understand what it is that we're talking about when we say a written opinion or analysis, explain what we mean.
1: Uh, so generally what we've got are we've got uh, legal, <laughs> well, we have legal opinions. Um, fo- and you know, it's funny because almost everyone refers to them as an attorney general's opinion. Um, but within within the office, An attorney general's opinion is only a single type of opinion, and that's an opinion that has probably been researched uh, and written by a series of deputies, uh, and then it's reviewed and edited according to the attorney general's uh, review of it, uh, and that's signed by the attorney general himself. Um, But then we also have lots of other analyses that we get out there. We do have uh, what we call formal legal guidelines, which are signed by the author, you know, whoever the attorney is that's written it. Um, And then we also have just kind of general analysis and opinion requests. And it could be on something like pending uh, legislation, or it could be on, you know, what is the legal effect of this statute in this situation? Um, Kind of there's a lot in between a formal AG's opinion.
0: I mentioned that the guidance can take on different forms. As an attorney, when do you say, I'm just going to send you an email or I'm going to answer this client, you know, here verbally over the phone or in a conversation out in the rotunda? And when does it become one of these more in-depth, formal, written, legal analyses?
1: Um, So I'm going to give you uh, first uh, my favorite answer as an attorney. It depends. Of course, of course. (laughs) Which I think you saw coming.
0: We have a quota Um, for one of those answers every podcast. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Um, (laughs) But I think that, I mean, to me, really, it it comes down to what is the question that's being asked and what is the impact of that question that's being asked. Uh, For example, if I've got a legislator who's asking for a quick opinion because they're about to walk on the floor, uh, we may not have time. Put pen to paper, or even put an email together. It may be the sort of thing where you know we're on the phone and we're pulling up statutes and provisions and cases right there on a computer screen and kind of talking them through uh, that analysis. Um, then there may be sorts of things where uh, they ask a question, and it's easy for us to throw together an email. And maybe uh, sometimes what will happen is we'll have constituents that will ask questions of their legislators, and the legislator will forward it to us and say, "Hey." is there anything you can help me out with here? Um, and we know what they need is a deliverable for their constituent. And Sometimes the very best medium for that is an email. Um, and then, you know, we get into situations, you know, sometimes there are questions that have far-reaching impacts for the state of Idaho, meaning it's not just specific to this piece of legislation or it's not just specific to this uh, local constituent group but it's something that's gonna impact the entirety of the state. Now those are starting to climb the rungs of what I would call formality, right? Because we know that this is going to have an impact and people are going to use it and rely on it.
0: So all of those can be an impetus to get the process going. What's the most typical way that one of these gets started?
1: Uh, The most typical way that one of these gets started is actually, um, there's three ways generally. It can be a phone call, Uh, A phone call comes into our office, and it could come to me, or it could actually come to another uh, deputy. It could come to the attorney general. I've had the attorney general call me up and say, hey, we've got uh, Representative Smith, for example, asking this question. Um, Can you take a look at it? Absolutely. Uh, We get emails, uh, as you can imagine, right? Folks start to email now more frequently. Uh, And then there's a group of folks that will send us a formal letter and say, we hereby request an AG's opinion or a legal analysis on this issue. Uh, I can also tell you that uh, there's been a rise in text requests hmm. where folks will send a text and say, hey, what do you think of this?
0: So we should step back for those who maybe haven't heard a lot of our podcast before and don't understand sort of the totality of your your roles in the office. A big reason why you're the point of contact on these is your role as the legislative liaison in the office of the attorney general.
1: Correct and and really, I just serve as the linkage between the legislature and everyone that's within our office.
0: Once it comes in, and you say, "Yep, we're going to do one of our you know more in depth, more formal analyses on on this particular question or, or legal topic." What's the next step?
1: Um, so, I think I mean, you've you within your question, you've kind of assumed one of the steps, and one of the steps is when it comes in. Uh, we do an immediate evaluation, right? And the evaluation is, you know, what is the question that's being asked? How in depth is the legal research going to be? Then, what's the turnaround time request? If we've got a, if we've got somebody that's like, I need an answer in ten minutes, you know, we're gonna we're gonna approach that in a different fashion than somebody who has asked a very complicated legal question um, that doesn't have a deadline or says, you know what, I can. I'm good if I don't get this for a week or so. Um, once we do that evaluation, then the next step is to figure out who know, who has the subject matter knowledge within our office. Um, it's always worth reminding folks, we have 120 attorneys in our office. Uh, with that many uh, lawyers, it's very difficult to find a legal issue that somebody in the office hasn't dealt with at some point in time. Uh, and so we do... Try to identify those subject matter experts and put them onto these analyses. Uh, and they'll usually take the first cut at research and drafting.
0: And I remember just as a specific example, uh, trespassing legislation was a big deal several sessions ago. We had an attorney in our criminal law division who was tasked with doing a lot of the analysis around some of that proposed legislation. Same division, criminal law division, uh, John McKinney is a deputy attorney general who has a lot of drug law expertise. So when there is an opinion that comes in on something such as, say, hemp legislation, John has been the the go-to guy. Right,
1: and it's not uncommon for uh, some of the more complex legal issues to cross over divisions. And so, for example, when you take a look at that trespass statute, uh, that was one that we actually had attorneys from three different divisions evaluating. Uh, we had folks from our criminal division evaluating it. We also had folks from our natural resources division evaluate it because there's a very strong overlay, uh, particularly when you get into the area of like agriculture and stuff. That trespassing law becomes very important, and you don't want to over, you don't want to over, um, kind of like overdo it. Uh, and, and regulate to a point where you infringe on those sorts of things, particularly when they've got kind of traditional practices and whatnot. And then we also had folks from our contracts and administrative law division take a look at that, because, again, there's an overlay when you get into trespass in certain areas, like public buildings or public parks or spaces like that. Uh, and so that it was one of those ones that it's a great example because it shows kind of the importance of the depth of our office and being able to evaluate these and have folks from different backgrounds put them together.
0: So you find the right person or right team of people who who have that subject matter knowledge, they take the first bit of research there is a draft at some point that that exists take us through that process of of what it looks like once the research is done once they're you know the the first draft of the analysis is on the paper when does it come back here where else does it go before it leaves the office and goes to the requester
1: so generally once the first draft is done uh then that will be sent uh to myself uh and a lot of times if it's involved if, if it involves attorneys uh We'll also copy in their division chiefs, uh, and in part it's because a lot of our division chiefs have a lot of years of experience and they've got some depth of knowledge in these areas uh, that they can they can help us out. Uh, one of the other things we always like to think about is institutional memory, right? A lot of times we get legal questions that aren't necessarily the first time this legal issue has been asked, um, but it helps us to have that institutional memory so that somebody can say, oh, you know what? Uh, there was a piece of legislation that did something like this 10 years ago or whatever. And and here's some other thoughts that we can bring into that. Uh, Again, we don't do that on everyone and we don't necessarily have time to get into that sort of depth on everyone. Um, But it does undergo a review by a number of different attorneys, really just to make sure we got it where where it's supposed to be.
0: Brian, you're a very smart person. You you understand the lay of the land around here. When someone comes to you with a request for a legal opinion, my assumption is, in in some cases at least, you know what they want the analysis to be. What role does that play ultimately in what the final analysis looks like? Well, I think
1: that, you know, to me, one of the issues that I think all attorneys face is uh, most often people are contacting attorneys because they have a problem that needs to be solved. Uh, and so, within our office, we try to approach these as problems that need a solution. Uh, and so, even though we may do an analysis that says this way that you're the way that you're pursuing this um, may cause legal challenges, uh, there may be another way to get to the same spot. Uh, and I think there's also, you know, there's certain areas where uh, the law just isn't there, right? And so, what they're trying to do, there isn't an answer until. For example, the Supreme Court changes course on an issue. Um, and we try to let folks know that uh, as well, but we try to approach it from the perspective of whoever's asking this question clearly has a problem they're trying to solve. How can we be of assistance in solving that problem?
0: So I'm learning here with the audience. You're an attorney, I'm not. When you have to deliver uh, legal counsel to to a client that is counter to what you you feel like they they want to hear, but rather what they need to hear, How do you go about doing that in an opinion versus one where you don't necessarily know what their desired outcome is
1: um usually if so if i know going into it that uh somebody has a a specific outcome in mind um, and the analysis is going to conflict with that outcome and they're not aware of that meaning during the intake process i haven't kind of previewed hey what you're trying to do here is very challenging legally um, and so I don't want you to be surprised by the analysis that comes back. Uh, a lot of times before we send the analysis, I may try to meet with them or have a phone call with them or somehow kind of give them a heads up that that what they think they were getting may not be what they're getting because the law isn't there or the statute doesn't say exactly what they thought it said. Or maybe there's another statute that they didn't realize was out there on the books. All, all things that happen.
0: So going back to the procedure... Uh, everyone in the office who's touched it has touched it had their input we have now a final draft how is it delivered to the requester <clears throat>
1: um, so I mean we still do letters our, our office does a lot of letters uh, and so we'll we'll generally email that to whoever the requester is um, And a lot of times it's a hard copy that we then scan in and then email uh, some folks we send an actual letter to uh, sometimes um, we may sit down with somebody and take them through the analysis, but that not necessarily every time. Uh, again, you know, our favorite answer, it depends. <laughs> um, and, and, and we've actually had occasions where uh, we've previewed a response with somebody and they've said, you know what, uh, I just want to withdraw that response. Right. There's no I, I've got what I need here. I know where this is at and we don't need to have this as a, as a request for you.
0: So you work in, we both work in state government. We are public employees. Your salary, my salary is paid for by by Idaho taxpayers. Uh, does that mean every opinion that you sign is therefore part of the public record and everyone can see every opinion?
1: Uh, not necessarily. Um, and I want you to know there's kind of two questions wrapped up in that one. Um, first, As the Attorney General, we have clients. And as attorneys, we still have clients that have an attorney-client privilege with us. And so folks do have the ability to seek our legal advice and have that remain confidential. Okay, so I was going to
0: say, take a moment to explain attorney-client privilege.
1: Um, Attorney-client privilege is just, it's, it's actually intended... Uh, to enable and empower clients to be as honest and forthright with their attorneys as possible uh, and to receive advice for decisions that they want to make. And so in order to encourage that relationship, uh, those conversations are protected. So attorney-client exchanges of legal advice and and the the basis for that legal advice is protected from public information. Uh, And it's very hard to peel back that protection. It's actually, uh, in the terms of the statute, it's considered to be inviolate. Uh, And so that's one of the things that folks sometimes struggle with is just because we're a public entity, it doesn't mean everything we do is public because we still have that attorney-client relationship um, with folks. Um, I think the other part of your question that you asked was you you kind of mentioned the taxpayers and our opinions. Um, I think it's really important to note that we do not provide opinions for taxpayers. Like, it, not just anybody can come and request an opinion. It has to be one of our client agencies, it has to be uh, somebody that's an elected official within state government. Um, we do provide uh, some. Some assistance when requested to local prosecutors, prosecuting attorneys, uh, city attorneys, Uh, a lot of our local government entities, if their attorneys need a little bit of maybe they want, you know, just somebody to say, hey, am I getting this right? Uh, We always will offer that assistance and we're happy to. Um, But it's not something it's not the sort of thing where anybody can just call up and say, you know, does the city have the authority to issue this parking ticket to me? Um, and I think, that, I think that it's fairly easy to understand why that could become problematic pretty quickly. Right.
0: And it's an answer I can tell you in the world of constituent affairs that we answer very regularly. We, we get probably daily requests from Idaho citizens who, who are asking for a legal opinion, a legal interpretation. And, and perhaps our most used answer in the world of constituent affairs is, as a non-client, we cannot offer you, you know, what you're seeking. You may need to seek a private attorney uh, for assistance on that matter. One thing we need to square, Brian, I mentioned that some of these opinions will occasionally end up in the news, but we just talked about attorney-client privilege. These opinions are protected by attorney-client privilege, which means they, they are not just immediately out there in the public record. Square for us those two things. When we see one of these being talked about in the news, how is it there? Why is it there?
1: Uh, it's it's there because the recipient has disclosed it in some fashion and one of the things that that occurs particularly in I'm going to use the legislative context is folks will ask us for an analysis and then they'll stand in front of a committee for example and say the attorney general's office says that this proposed legislation is okay or maybe someone else will say the attorney general's office says that this proposed legislation is unconstitutional or something like that what happens there is they have put the office's analysis at issue uh, and therefore they've waived the privilege and so what happens in that case is oftentimes almost the minute that they say that publicly uh, or share it with their colleagues we will get requests from the media and all sorts of other folks saying hey can we get a copy of that and at that point we do provide a copy because it's become a matter of public record
0: and you may have just heard my phone buzz sitting next to the microphone, and that may be what's happening right now as we tape our our podcast. Uh, Once a client has an opinion, um, are they required to heed the counsel in it?
1: No, and I think that's an important element uh, about our opinions is that uh, we're providing legal advice, and it's the same legal advice as any attorney could provide to you. For example, uh, you could go to your attorney and say, uh, can you find a way for me to legally uh, rob an ATM machine? And the attorney could tell you, <laughs> do not rob an ATM machine. And then you say, thank you, leave the office, rob an ATM machine, and get arrested. Right? There's nothing that, that we can do to make you follow uh, the legal advice. Um, I think the other thing that's always important to remember is the attorney general's analyses and opinions are not binding on anyone. Like courts don't have to rely on them; they may find them persuasive, but they're not bound by them. They can go a completely different direction. Um, I've heard them referred to as, you know, just somebody's opinion of what the law is with this given fact scenario on this given day, uh, and there's merit to that. Uh, and so they're not binding on anyone. You know, every now and then you'll hear folks refer to our, our uh, analyses as decisions or rulings. They are not those. They're just uh, analyses of these legal issues that we hope are helpful for the folks that are requesting them and maybe reading them.
0: Brian, on the Attorney General's website, we have an opinion page where some of our opinions are published. There's an annual report that comes out in book form as well. It includes some opinions. It's not a comprehensive list. Uh, I think we sort of began to touch on this earlier in the podcast, but how do we determine which uh, of the things that we write in this realm make it onto the website, make it into the, the annual report, and which um, are not part of, of, of those outlets?
1: So I think that, you know, to me, again, it goes down to what we we try to evaluate what we write for its usefulness to the wider public. Um, And part of it is we don't want to bury folks in every single uh, little thing. Um, Part of it is we've still got stuff that we've written that's privileged. And then we also have things that we think folks are, you know, there there's certain questions that we get more than once. Uh, or they come from different areas of the state or different levels of government, Uh, we try to identify those issues and then publish them. Again, uh, hopefully to provide a little bit of help and be a little bit of a resource uh, across the state for folks.
0: Any idea, in a given year, how many of these we do in the office? I know it's definitely more during the legislative session because of all of the proposed legislation and the questions that go with proposed legislation, but in a given year, how many do we do?
1: So I know it's more, we're easily over 250 every year um, and probably more towards the 300 range. Um, and those are just the ones that we do in writing. There's a lot of stuff that we do by telephone call or in a meeting or a series of meetings. Um, so it's it's considerable. There's a considerable number of analyses that we do
0: annually. And the pie chart of all of the work that gets done by the attorneys in this office, what what percentage of that that pie chart is, is this type of work?
1: Oh, I wouldn't even put. The, I don't think this even hits ten percent. Really? For for I mean, if you think about the fact we've got one hundred twenty attorneys, um, this is actually a really small slice of pie. This is a this is a slice of pie that if somebody served it to you, you'd be a little disappointed. <laughs> You'd ask for seconds. (laughs) (laughs) You would. Or ice cream or something.
0: (laughs) Small but not unimportant. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: No, because again, and you're absolutely right, right? You think about this as the slice of pie that the office uh, works on, but then you think about this as the slice of pie that the public reviews or evaluates or the press identifies as significant and those two slices are of vastly different size.
0: Anything else to add uh, in the context of, of current events or, or any other uh, part aspect of of this discussion that I haven't given you the chance to address?
1: No, I mean, I think, I mean, to me, this is one of those, uh, this is one of the, the more interesting aspects within the office is how we do these these analyses and opinions. Some of them take a significant amount of research, and and uh, it's it's to me as an attorney, it's some of the most fascinating work uh, that I get the opportunity to take part in um, because of that research aspect. Like you, as you put these together, you are learning the history of the state of Idaho, and you're learning the history of how our government was kind of put together and then folks scratched their head and said, I'm not sure this is the way we want to do it. And then they changed it a little bit. And it, it, it's really just kind of a fascinating look into how our state works, how our government works, what our republic means. And, and I'm actually, I feel uh, lucky to have that opportunity.
0: Brian Kane is a co-host of Counsel for the State here in the Office of the Attorney General. He is the Chief Deputy. He's an opinion writer. He has many other things as well. Brian, we really appreciate uh, your time. I know you're extremely busy this week. So thank you for sharing your insight on this. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Counsel for the State. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and it helps you better understand an important function of the Office of the uh-huh. Attorney General. Previous episodes of the podcast are available in three places. All of our episodes are archived online at the Attorney General's website. That is ag.idaho.gov. They're also available through Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time.